0: Even conversion's not enough, you're right. You need affinity, you need advocacy. You you want those people to like love your brand and then tell their friends about it. And then it makes your dollars go so much further. That was Veronica Parker-Hahn from the Effie Awards. And these are the Brandwagon interviews.
1: Veronica, welcome to Brandwagon. I'm happy to be here. Super excited that you're here. <laughs> Um, is it true that you recently had some encounters with bears?
0: It's a good one. Yes. Um, (laughs) So my husband and I have a house in the Catskills, which is about three hours from um, Brooklyn. And uh, we had a 4th of July cookout, had a good time cleaning the grill, but we left it outside. And uh, I I heard this, like, noise in the middle of the night. It was, like, 4 in the morning. Okay. And I woke up, looked out the window. And my husband woke up, too. He heard the noise. He looked out, and he's like, oh, it's a raccoon. And I'm like, "Mm, not so sure.
1: A little bit too loud.
0: Yeah, a little too loud. And so I looked closer, and it was a bear. (laughs) Like, like I saw the outline of a bear on our terrace. Okay. So, you know, I was like, what do we do? So we got a flashlight. We shined the light on the bear. The bear kind of looked at us, took a pause, went back to work. And the bear had flipped over our charcoal grill and pulled it over the wall of the terrace, like, taking it into the... Like, force. Like,
1: bringing the grill with him yes. or her into the woods. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, we're like, all right. So, like, okay, light didn't work. So, what do we do now? Um, so, my husband was like, play loud music. So, he got his phone and played the first song, um, you know, on Spotify, which was salsa music. Okay. Which the bear seemed to love yeah. because he just hung out yeah. longer. <laughs> so, then we finally got, like, a pot and, like, a you know, like, a pan and a metal spoon went out the door and banged it, and the bear ran away. Okay. But like, the entire household, like my kids, my mom, my brother, the dog, no one woke up, like. Even
1: though you're like having a nanny yeah, outside. Yeah, trying ringing to get bells, this, yeah, ringing yeah, bells, yeah. pans, yeah. like.
0: And my mom's <laughs> dog is a hunting dog, and he didn't wake up. <laughs> oh. So yeah, so we had a bear encounter, and then like, so that was one night. Then the second night, the bear came back. Okay. This time at one thirty in the morning. Looked at the grill, investigated, flipped it over. Flipped it back and then left, and that was it.
1: Just like realized this time. Yeah, yeah, it's not here. Not worth the effort. Yeah, this no is for the salsa this time. no. No.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no music, no pans, nothing. Left on her own. That is own. wild. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you have you've documented this, right? I do. I have pictures. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, the, everyone in the household was mad that they didn't. We didn't wake them up to show them, but. They should have woken up with all the noise.
1: Well, I mean, it's a good sign that they can sleep through anything. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's very restful out there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for being with us here in Cambridge. Have you ever been to Cambridge before?
0: I have. (laughs) I actually have consulted like two doors over. What? Yes. Um, So, yeah, I've been here quite a bit. And I used to fly up on Tuesday mornings and leave Wednesday night and then kind of work the rest of my time remotely for... A client up here. Okay, awesome. Yeah, awesome.
1: Well, we're super excited that you're here. Yeah,
0: I love it here, and it's warm. Like the winter's not my thing. But, yes, but
1: it's yeah. warm. It's warm today yeah. in general. Yeah. Yesterday, hundred yeah. degrees or yeah. so. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear your story, and I'd, I'd lo- I know you started working with agencies, and you were there for a while. Like, tell me about what that experience was like. What types of clients did you work with?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've had a pretty diverse career, but as you mentioned, I started out on the ad agency side, and I was an account. Manager, an account okay. person, which has nothing to do with money. I mean, it kind of does, but I wasn't an accountant or anything like that. My role was focused on growing my client's business. So my job was to kind of get in, in bed with the client, understand how their business operated, what their growth opportunities were, you know, who their consumers were, and turn that understanding into a strategy to help them build their business. Okay. And I would bring that strategy back to the agency and then kind of work with the team to create creative ideas, creative solutions for that business. So you would,
1: you would basically understand their business, hopefully better than them or as yep. well as them. Yeah. And these are big companies, right?
0: Yeah, I, I did. I worked for State Farm Insurance, um M&M's candy, um Reebok, DirecTV, Procter and Gamble, I did okay. some marketing for their pharmaceutical cool. brands, so big big billion dollar brands.
1: Big billion dollar brands. Yeah. Then you're establishing a strategy. Yep. And then going and figuring out, like, what's the creative that's actually going to line up to that strategy?
0: Yeah. And, like, it could be a creative solution. It could be a product solution. It could be an experiential solution. But the heart of it was understanding, okay, yeah, how does that business operate? Oftentimes seeing ideas the clients themselves didn't see. Sort of unearthing an insight or an opportunity. And then, yes, bringing that back to the agency to work with the creative team the producers, the digital team, the ideators, to figure out, like, what's the best way to drive change for that business. Cool.
1: And, and when you find those opportunities that you're able to see that they're not, why, why do you think that is?
0: I think sometimes when you work in the business for so long and you're embedded in it, 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 it's hard to see a fresh idea. I mean, you also know your business really well. You know the minutia of your business. Yeah. So sometimes having an outside point of view helps illuminate those things that you may have overlooked, or maybe even those things you've overanalyzed. Gotcha. But, you know, the world's changing a bit, right? Like, it used to be agencies worked on the outside, and they kind of swooped in. Now companies are building their marketing capabilities internally, and that has a huge benefit, which I've experienced myself, which is you're there every day, you're moving as fast as a business is moving. Um, you're really embedded, and so great work can come from that. But also, great work can come from the outside too. It just depends on you know what your business needs are and, and where you are with your with your company.
1: I think it's interesting too to dig in on. I mean, it, first of all, that makes total sense. That it, it, I agree with you. It's changing. Uh, but looking at when you're working with someone like M and M's, and you're saying like, "All right, I'm going to help you come up with a new strategy, and then we're going to match the creative and get get I would presume probably a large Advertising campaign out into the world to like kind of reshape how they think about that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's interesting because the scale of those problems you're working on are so large, right? I mean, for to, to move the needle on M and M's and change yeah. people's perceptions, not easy,
0: right? No, not at all. It, it isn't, isn't right? Like people have a long running positive association with the brand. Back then, the challenge was getting people to think about it. Like people knew M and M's so well, it was almost not even a an active thought in their minds. Yeah. So, the business challenge when I worked on it was to get your primary grocery shopper, your person who brings the groceries into the house, to buy one more bag of MMs a year. That That's was it. it. That was the challenge because the business was so pervasive. Yeah. But, like, people weren't going out and saying, I'm going to go get MMs today. They would kind of remember it when they saw it in the grocery store. Um, but they had so many consumers, it just took one, like, you know, big bag, not the small one one bag of M&M's a year from those consumers to really drive a big increase. That's crazy.
1: So is yeah. it, and when you're, uh, I mean, I've, I've never really talked to anyone about this exact challenge, and I find it very fascinating. Mm. So you're saying that M&M's like, all right, these are the people in the world who, when you think about your audience in that case, are those the people who are already buying M&M's? Yeah. And they're saying like, all right, these people buy, I don't know how many bags a year, three bags a year? Let's five, say three, yeah. Let's say three. Yeah. It's been so many years, but yeah. yeah. And then (laughs) the goal for the company in this campaign and in the strategy is like, we just want them to get one more bag. And if they get one more bag the next 365 days, then this will be a huge success.
0: Yeah, and think about, you know, like numbers have probably changed since I worked in the business, which was years ago. But like, you know, if you have you know, a million people that buy M&M's, you know, buy three bags of M&M's a year, and then you get them to buy one more bag. That's a huge, that's a big increase in the business. So the the campaign I actually worked on was about reinvigorating people's love for M&M's. If you actually, you know, stop people and talk about it, everyone has their favorite color. They have a, a a childhood memory and experience with it, um, so that that campaign was built around like you know reigniting that love, okay. bringing those memories back, and then like kind of freshening up the business um, at the time. So it was a, it was like a complex business challenge because people were already buying it. So it wasn't like you were trying to bring new folks into the franchise, but still trying to change your behavior by creating a love for the brand and driving brand advocacy. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: and so. I presume all of these clients you worked with had similar types of challenges.
0: Yeah, I've worked with clients who have been around for a long time. So State Farm Insurance is a great example. The yeah. company's been around for, I don't know, 90 years. But they were being challenged by other brands in the category who were newer or who had um, freshened their marketing strategy. They'd gone out and found new consumers. But in those in the growth of those new brands, they were stealing share from State Farm. So the idea was, well, well, what's the insight into that business that makes people stay with that brand? State Farm really couldn't compete on price, but they could compete on um, perception Mm -hmm. and longevity and relationships. Um, Other brands, you know, were new. So even when I worked on M&Ms, I worked on a new product for Mars that hadn't existed before. It was a new product form, new concept. So really you know, creating awareness and then getting folks to kind of reuse that product over time. So my experience ran the gambit of like old established brands to like newbies trying to, you know, make their way in the world. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's,
1: and I, I think the experience you've had here is unique. And I remember being in college dreaming of working on creative campaigns for super large companies. Yeah. And then you had that experience for
0: like 15 years, right? Yeah. Yeah. How
1: do you think that's influenced your marketing instincts?
0: I think it challenged me. So I I was the same way. Like when I was in college, I was an anthropology major in college. So I had no pre-professional marketing experience at all. But I remember like paying attention to ads and having favorite campaigns and trying to like figure out, well, how do they operate? And why do they, why is it, you know, proposed this way? Why is it run in these certain places? Then to get into the industry and to realize, like it's not just about creativity. It's about strategic rigor behind it. It's about understanding your category. Like, who are you competing with? Where do you stand in that category? Um, Figuring out, like, what unique offering this product, your product gives to the consumer. And then who is your consumer? And then comes the sort of execution based on those, those points. And then comes measurement. So I just, I don't think I realize the depth of work it took to really build these strong campaigns. So being in the industry... Made me very thoughtful. It made me rigorous in my approach to strategy, um, and it just kind of opened my eyes to like the plethora of challenges out there, um, and how do you kind of you know address all those challenges?
1: And it seems like also you, from the very beginning of your career, you're seeing you can build a brand, and you can reshape a brand, and you can make a brand a challenger or what have you. But it actually is not a fluffy thing. It's not something that's just, oh, I, I hope we have a good brand today. It's like, no, it's actually very strategic. There's yeah. a plan, there's a strategy, there's the you know understanding the category, understanding the competitors, all those types of things. Understanding probably the brand values you want people to feel. Yep. And then putting that all together and then actually measuring that. I mean, you've actually seen that work at the larger scale.
0: Oh, totally. I've, I've seen it from you know, a product being just an idea on paper all the way to execution and everything in between. And I've come in, you know, in different parts of that process. But just like when someone's starting a business, you know, you're you're an entrepreneur, when you, you started your business, there was an idea there that you 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 were looking to build towards something. And marketing is just as rigorous as that. Marketing can be incredibly expensive. It can be hard to figure out who you're speaking to, um, and you want to make every dollar count. So, like, you have to put that work in to understand, kind of how all the pieces work together, so that you can be successful and be really effective in what you do. So, it's it's uh it's not fluffy at all. You know, everyone thinks they're creative, and everyone has a creative bone in their body, but cr- creative marketing that really works, there's a whole long process that goes into that.
1: It's so interesting too, because I think in the startup land there's this understanding, I think, that's starting to happen, which is it's not just about performance marketing, but you actually have to build a brand. Like, yeah. You have to build something that sticks around, that people care about, yeah. and they're going to stick with. But there's all this fear because people don't know. it's not Brand building is not seen as something that you can take a rigorous approach to.
0: Yeah. And, and you absolutely can. It's interesting. I feel like the startup world and the agency established marketing world just talk past each <laughs> yeah, other because no, 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 no. like, they've got like, <laughs> skills that help each other. But you know, I, I understand because I've been there. I understand the challenge of being in a startup and having to make every penny count. And so the, the focus on performance makes sense. Um, also, the world's changed since I started in marketing. So like, there are the tools out there to quantify every penny. But if you just build to get people in the door and you don't have a reason to keep them and you don't have a way to do that, you have a leaky bucket. They'll leave for the next cheapest thing in your category. Yeah, um, awareness is not enough. You need you need affinity. Too. Yeah, exactly, and even conversion's not enough. You're right, you need affinity, you need advocacy. You, you want those people to like love your brand and then tell their friends about it and then it makes your dollars go so much further. But that takes work. You have to reinforce why they're there. And to reinforce that you have to understand why they're there in the first place. Yeah. Not because you're the cheapest. It's you want it to be because you've made a connection with them. You mean something unique in their lives. You understand something about them and this product helps them do that better. And that's whether it's like a consumer like you and me or a you know a B2B effort like at the end of the day there's always a consumer that you're speaking to and you have to understand how you fit and what they need.
1: Yeah. It's also it's, to build off the cheapest piece. I, so many people, I think, think they can be the cheapest. Yeah. But there's only one cheapest in every market. And if you're the cheapest one day and someone else becomes the cheapest the next, like you're done. Yeah, exactly. And it's actually not a very sustainable strategy, but people go to it, I think, because it it seems logical if you don't have all the other pieces. Like if you're not thinking about Building a brand, if you're not thinking about building a product that's a leader, yeah. then yeah, the going cheapest seems like an option, but it usually doesn't, it's not very sustainable.
0: Yeah, and think about the iconic brands you love. Like whatever brand you love, whether it's Apple or right? I'm wearing an Apple Watch. You know, I have an Apple computer. Like I didn't buy because it it's the cheapest. I bought it because it says something about me and fits my lifestyle. You know, and it could be my shoes, it could be my sneakers, whatever it is, there's there's a functional thing people will tell you, oh, I bought this product because X, but there's something else behind it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in the work I do, I think the piece that often is missing, whether it's startups or, or, or bigger brands, is the insight. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, what it again, what is it about your brand that you offer? Who's your consumer? Like the insight leads to a big idea that then you hopefully can communicate across all your marketing efforts, and across your business. like What your brand stands for should permeate everything you do so that every consumer touchpoint reinforces that yeah. and so that the story you tell up front is backed up by the experience. And again, that leads to advocacy and wanting to stay with that brand. And
1: when you're saying the insight, you mean, just to make sure I got got it, you're saying the understanding of what it is that your customer wants to feel and also what it is that you actually can deliver on as a company, as a product. And is is it like that deep research to understand those things, or?
0: Yes, listen, sometimes it's a gut thing. Okay. Um, you know, when I, uh, I worked at a startup and I worked in the healthcare space, and like, there's something you know about the healthcare experience. We know people hate the healthcare experience in this country. Health insurance is complicated, it's expensive, it's a whole black box. Um, and there's, there's an insight that we kind of all just get. Um, but you do want to back that insight up with research and quantify it to help you understand how big of a marketplace you have. But yeah, you kind of, you summarized it really well. And insight um, is really, under, comes from understanding your consumer really well um, and the challenges they have and understanding your product really well. What are you really trying to build and what problem or void are you trying to fill? And an insight kind of comes from the, the rigorous work of understanding those those two pieces of the story. Cool. Yeah. All
1: right. I want to go deep on Oscar. Um, so you were employee number eleven at Oscar Health. Yeah. Which I believe now is thousands of employees. Yeah. Which yeah. is absolutely insane. It's crazy. And you took a big risk joining them. In my opinion, going to something that is that early stage. What, yeah. what was? Tell people what Oscar is and what was that like.
0: Um, So Oscar is a health insurance company, a startup based out of New York. And it was started in 2012, 2013. And the company was built to create a health insurance company that was focused on the individual, right? And focused on using design, data, and transparency to create like a, a really sort of focused, human focused health insurance company, which is hard to do. Yeah, that seems, that seems hard. <laughs> it's extremely hard. Health insurance is freaking complicated. And the consumer, historically, the consumer has not been the individual. It's been a big health insurance company makes a deal with a big holding company. And then the employees get the trickle-down effect. They yeah. get a few options. Yeah. And you pick from that. When OSCAR was started, the health care exchange as part of the Affordable Care Act was coming forward. And a whole group of consumers who hadn't had access to health insurance before were flooding into the market. So Oscar was taking, you know, focusing on that consumer and has since grown many products since then over the years. But I was working on the ad agency side, so I worked on a, a big corporate organization. I had quite a few employees under me, you know, it's hard job, but a cushy job. Yeah. And realized that, like, at that point in my career, I worked in the agency world for many years that... There had to be something else out there. Like I knew I wanted to have a different kind of marketing experience. I just didn't really know what that was. Yeah. I had an opportunity to interview with Oscar, and at the time, like the recruiter couldn't even tell me what the company was okay. because we weren't <laughs> licensed to operate in New York. Okay. Or anywhere actually. Okay. There was no license. <laughs> so kind of walked into the interview and learned that, you know, these incredibly smart people were starting a health insurance company from scratch. Uh, you don't hear
1: that every day. No,
0: no, and I think I, I think I told um, who the guy who became my boss. I was like, "This is incredibly ballsy," and uh, wow, yes. <laughs> I was blown away. Yeah. So you know, I interviewed, got the position as VP of marketing, um, and started as employee eleven, as you said, but like. Five of us started at the same time, so technically we're all tied for employee, employee number eleven. I'm going to give
1: you the, the Thank title, you. though. Thank you. I'll yeah. take it.
0: <laughs> um, and and my job was to you know put Oscar on the map and make it a brand that people would covet and appreciate and and ultimately buy. And I mean, we didn't even have letterhead at the time when I joined. We had a logo. We had um, sort of like a a business strategy, and we had the reason why we were starting the company, and that was it. And I was the only marketing person in the marketing department. That's wild. Yeah. So, a a lot of work to do in those early years, but, and some of the hardest work I have ever done to create something from scratch um, from a marketing perspective in one of the hardest categories like there that exists. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah, and how do you think? Uh, uh, there's a bunch of questions I want to dig into here, but you know, how do? First of all, marketing insurance seems like a, you know somewhat boring, boring interest, boring industry. Yeah. But I know that the work that you did there was the opposite of boring. How do you how do you think about that? This is something that comes up a lot. We hear from our customers and are like, yeah, we love the ideas that you're talking about. We want to make videos. We want to do creative stuff, but we're boring. And usually, there is something to be done. But how, how do you think about that challenge?
0: think you have to start with a, a strong strategy, uh, and again, you know this is an ongoing theme, right? Like start with like what your brand stands for. So, at, at the company that I work at currently, uh, we'll talk a bit about that a little bit later. Like there are four key things that you have to look at when you're building a strategy, and these are the things that I use when I walked into Oscar, um, and partly because I came from like a really traditional marketing background mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. did something totally opposite. Yeah. But one is like building a strategy that's based on one understanding the category what's happening in the marketplace what's the challenge what's happening so for us with Oscar it was these healthcare exchanges were opening i had done some research to show that health insurance was liked as much as the IRS which is to, you know, not liked at all. It's <laughs> the least liked industry. It was tied for the least liked industry in, yeah. in the in the country. So one, we had this like new influx of consumers. We had this consumer perception that like health insurance just sucked, yeah. right? Like just didn't really get it. Then the second piece was understanding like, all right, well, who would we be talking to? Who's this new consumer? And let's personify them. So they were kind of some archetypes we created to say like, this is why people would want to get Health insurance, you know, at this time okay. and why, and then this the second piece to that was understanding, like, all right, well, who are we as a company? One of the one of my favorite lines from the early days of our marketing was, "We didn't start this company because we love health insurance." Quite the opposite, in fact, right? We we had some folks from the insurance world who definitely knew the space. We had some people who were outsiders like me um, and some of the founders, and the idea was we can do this. We can make this better. We could make a health insurance company that was focused on people and the kind of health insurance company we'd want for ourselves and our families. And people deserve better. So yeah. there was there was part of the insight was in there.
1: So it's almost like you're a challenger to traditional. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And we didn't have the baggage of traditional companies. Like we had been around for like a year. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so we could have that outsider perception. But the, the work really started with understanding the category, our consumer insight, and who we were as a company. And that freed us up to experiment with how we spoke in the industry. You know, how did we talk? I don't even think we really considered ourselves part of the health insurance industry. We really considered ourselves like a data-driven tech company, Mm. you know, focused on healthcare and using our skills to make that industry better through our products. So there was, I think, a, a, a freedom in being an outsider. And we just, we took that tone forward into the creative execution. Cool.
1: And yeah. tell me about—I know that you had the New York City launch campaign, which is the first city you launched Oscar in. Yeah, and I believe you won an Effie award for that, and yes. it was wildly successful. We won two Effie awards two, for that. Two, yes. wow, okay. <laughs> um, and tell, like, tell me about that campaign specifically. I think, like, how did you put it together? And I know that there was a lot of out of home mm-hmm. that you were doing, which I, when I think of out of home, I think risky uh, yeah. and hard to track. Yep. And yet, I know that you did track it, and it was very, very successful. So yeah. what went into that campaign?
0: A lot of testing and a lot of being nimble because we had some sort of, you know, the healthcare exchanges broke down halfway through the campaign. We paused our marketing because there was nothing to drive people to. It was like <laughs> a whole, you know, complicated piece. But a couple of things came to mind. One, um, we were a new company. We didn't have that much money. I mean, I know it looked like it, um, and maybe... Compared to some other startups, we did have a lot of money to spend, but it was um, limited, from my experience. Yeah. and I also knew that like we didn't know a hundred percent what would work for us. So the approach was to like test and optimize. You know, try some things, see if it has some positive returns, and then do more.
1: And how are you? How are you testing? With the, you're testing out of home stuff.
0: Yeah. So like the first maybe two months of the of the campaign, we did um, a ton of PR. Um, digital marketing, um, some social media stuff. We tested like one kind of out of home placement. So Oscar is known for that first year of like you know taking over trains and things like that. But we actually did like a few like square cards on subway trains. Okay, like a few. Okay, and then we told our customer service team all the platforms we were running on, and and asked them to ask people like how did they hear about us. And for the out of home in particular, because it is hard to measure, they would ask, and people would consistently say for like a number of years, on the subway.
1: They just literally told you
0: on the subway. Now some people would also say like on TV, and we weren't running on TV, so like that's just like (laughs) just making it up. Throw that out, yeah. Um, But we heard on the subway, on the subway, often um, through the call center. Even anecdotally, like some of our leadership would talk to doctors, and they would be like, "I saw you guys on the subway." But
1: if you, but if you weren't telling your customer service team to ask people that and to get the qualitative feedback, we wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have known. Yeah, it was that simple, though. Yeah, it was literally like, "Where did you hear about us?" Yeah, like we heard about you on the subway. Fantastic! You okay. know that you're putting stuff on the subway, and you can figure out how much more to do of that or what have you. Yeah. But it's funny because it's that's such a simple thing. Yeah. But so many people would say like. Oh yeah, I'd love to do billboards. You can't track it. Don't yeah. know if it's gonna work. I can't do out of home stuff. And yeah. It's like, well, yes, you can track. You just literally have to ask people.
0: Yeah, listen, <laughs> listen. There, there are all kinds of mediums, and it didn't. The plan didn't start out with with saying we're gonna go on the subway. Yeah. The plan started out with, okay, this is our consumer. This is why they are gonna need health insurance. These are the reasons why. Okay, we know we're competing with companies that have been around for years like yeah. blue cross Blue oh, shield yeah. right it was in the new york marketplace yeah. and we were like who yeah. and what's this name oscar Here's a like, health insurance company that's right. been around for 1 year yeah, do you yeah, trust yeah, us yeah. This named after some guy yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> um so like we had a strategic challenge which was how do we drive awareness very quickly and then also convert people really quickly because yeah. we needed to you know prove the value of what we were doing and then then it went from there it's like well what are some good awareness driving platforms that could just like give us kind of air cover while we use others to capture people and there was discussion of tv tv is this like traditional tried and true platform but like culturally that's not that wasn't us at the time like yeah. running tv yeah one two we didn't really have the funds to do that well um, and then we looked at the marketplace where we're in New York. Where do people spend their time? They spend their time on the subway. Like 20 to 40 minutes a day, the majority of the city is on the subway. So we kind of we funneled down to our platform based on who we were talking to, where they would be, mm-hmm. and where we could capture their attention. Um, and even with that, like people were super skeptical. It wasn't like, oh, out of home's the thing. Yeah. In those early days, it was like, I don't, I don't know. Well, I'm
1: sure you see it once you're like, yeah. That sounds great, but I've never heard of you. Right. Why should I trust you? Right.
0: Well, and, and even internally at Oscar. Because really? back then you had, um, if anyone's a New Yorker, you'll know this, like Dr. Zismore, which is like a local doc, plastic surgeon maybe okay. or like dermatologist. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. He had these like cheesy ads. That and like um, Manhattan Mini Storage were the ones that were running on the subway. It, it wasn't a startup kind of thing okay. at all. So, you know, it was a leap to, like, even try that. And yeah. that's why testing is important, right? Like, the hypotheses I had based on my previous experience, and I had run um, digital acquisition um, for State Farm. So I was like, oh, I know these certain platforms work for State Farm. they work for us. Mm-hmm. Some of the things I thought would work didn't. Others that were, like, a long shot, like out of home, did. So um, testing and optimizing towards, you know, a tighter plan is what helped us. Figure out our, our strategy,
1: but you knew instantly also that for Oscar, you were going to need to build brand awareness, and you'd need to build like brand affinity and advocacy. You yeah, at need, the same you would need people to, at the same moment to understand what Oscar is and that it yep. exists, and trust you. Yep, and then hopefully sign up and love it and, and spend then tell a lot other people. of
0: money. because yeah. health insurance is not cheap.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what were the size of the budgets you're working with back then?
0: Small, like. You know, one sixteenth of what State Farm would spend in digital okay. advertising yeah. alone. Um, So not not big at all. And I literally counted every single penny. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got ten cents here. I can put this over there, and yeah. they can extend things here and there. And I and we built a flexible plan. So as um, we went out with certain initiatives, like out of out of home this is the thing we're harping on now, but like. That has a long run period that Mm. runs for like a month when you get it out there. But other things like running on Pandora or digital marketing, things like that, you can kind of turn on and off pretty quickly. So we tried to focus on platforms where we could get out of it if we didn't see any positive returns on our efforts. And then halfway through the campaign, we saw, okay, these things are working, we'll dial them up. And others aren't, we'll dial them down.
1: And how do you think about, so it's, it's so interesting because... You had this experience working with big brands. You saw them building brands, mm-hmm. changing how they're who they are to the market. Yeah. You know, in some cases, like M and M's, trying to get sell one more bag of M and M's a year. Then you jump in full responsibility, VP of marketing, brand new insurance company. Yeah. Challenger brand. Yeah. Minimal budget. Yeah. Um, and yet you were still able to make those decisions, and I think those creative decisions that were going to differentiate you. The placement decisions, like the mm-hmm. strategy decisions, how do you even think about that? Because I, I think is pretty different, and for a lot of folks, I can imagine having talked to many folks in uh, startups and SMBs, they never get away from the performance stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And and so in your case, I feel like if you didn't try the things that were not performance based, could you have even grown Oscar the way that you did?
0: You know, I don't know. I mean, maybe we could have. It's just that I think where everyone's heads were and and the brief that I got even coming in, like everyone knew they wanted to build an iconic brand or wanted to try to. And in fact, I saw like the brief for everyone, you know, interviewing for the role and I was like... Everyone says they want to be like Nike or Apple or whatever, because these are really iconic brands that took many years to build, (laughs) you know? But I liked the aspiration of the company, and it was clear they wanted to build something that consumers would love. And culturally, as a company, we did things that were about consumer love. Like, for the first several months of the company, we actually all hand-wrote welcome notes to our new Um, people who signed up. So like, you know, it started out with just like a few people. So it wasn't that hard to do. But then as you know, we got into like hundreds and hundreds and then a couple of thousand people, the whole company, like we know every Friday morning you'd get three notes you had to write to people because like it was important that the individual um, get us. So we had to, yeah, acquire people, but it was important that the brand lived up to what we were trying to portray. So I think it was like, the company had a unique mindset of um, you know wanting to balance both which was gotcha which was you know helps me grow but at the same time I just I knew like I'd come from this company, State Farm that spends like a gajillion dollars in marketing every year. And I knew I was walking to, into a space where the need for marketing was not a foregone conclusion. So I had to prove the value of it. Mm-hmm. And I proved that through like testing a bunch of stuff. So I didn't walk in and say, this is our brand strategy and this is our performance strategy. It was more like, this is our strategy together. Let's test it and see if it works. And I think something's happened in the industry where when I started, there was no separation between performance and brands. It was mm-hmm. just like, how do you build this business? How do you sell this product? And then moving into the startup world, the two have gotten separated. And I'm not sure where that happened along the line, maybe because like skill sets are getting very siloed. But I don't think you have to separate the business in that way. You have to look at it and say, well, what's the right thing to grow this business in the short term and the long term? And those pieces can live in a complementary way, not against each other. Totally.
1: I I feel like the issue there is often that people, it doesn't even occur to people that brand could be a factor. Yeah. And they're like, wait a second, you're telling me people will pick me. They'll make an emotional decision that they rationalize? Like, huh? No, I thought that we were only making rational decisions, which is often, I think you're exactly right, the specialization of the roles. Yeah. Where you have folks who all they're doing is testing really specific minute things that can have an enormous impact when you uh, uncover what's there. It's hard to ask that same person in today's world of like hyper-focusing to also say like, what do we want people to feel after every interaction that they have right. with us? And, oh, we we want to scale that process of having people feel something. I feel yeah. like that's, that's the hard part.
0: Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, there's an analogy, though. Like, if you think about dating, right? So you're married. You know, you met your wife. Did you test every algorithm to figure out, okay, this combination of, like, you know, a daytime date and a picnic and this, like, you know, there's there's some science to marketing there's a lot of science to marketing which is great right especially with just access to data and things like that but then there's this there's art to it too yeah and it's like dating like certain dates or you know those are my go-to dates those are good but for this particular person i've got to experiment and figure out like what's going to like help us make that right connection right and there's there's humanity behind to your point everything that is involved in marketing so we can't forget that that human side you get the men but how do you keep them
1: it's funny you say that because we've talked about marketing at wistia as like we need artists who care about science and -hmm. scientists who care about art Mm -hmm. because you need both yeah and the problems we've already always had if we have like a scientist who doesn't respect art it doesn't end up working even if you're only doing scientist like things yeah and the same is true if you have an artist who doesn't care about the science like you need some combo across
0: yeah absolutely yeah and the two inform each other Totally.
1: Bring me into your mind, I guess, when you're making creative decisions for on the agency side and you're Mm -hmm. helping, you know, brand push themselves and making a creative decision. What did that feel like versus making a creative decision when you were fully responsible at Oscar?
0: Yeah. It's different. It's different, (laughs) but the same. You know, when I was on the agency side and recommending to the client, like a creative recommendation, like you have to go back to the strategy. You go back to what you all agreed to do. Does this fit the strategy? You know, like you, you almost like as, as an account person they had to you know, build the case with the agency to yeah. like build them up towards why this is the one they should pick. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But if you've all agreed to an approach and it ticks all the boxes to get there, then hopefully it makes it easier for the client to make a decision because it answers the brief. Mm. On the flip side, um, being the client, I had to make myself do that too, and also make sure that our constituents internally agreed to that. So some of the work I did when they came in was to say, like, this is the strategy we're building together. Do we all agree? We agree on this part, this part, this part? Okay, so when we see the creative, let's make sure that it all ties back. So it's, it was similar, but like being the client, I don't know, my neck was on the line a little yeah. bit more <laughs> because I'm spending our precious dollars and like it better work or I better have some reason why it didn't. But to, on both sides, to have everyone agree to like the rigorous strategy you built, you know, before that helps make the decision a little bit easier. And then, you know, you take a risk. You cross your <laughs> fingers, say a little prayer and hope it <laughs> hope it works.
1: Well, it seems like it's it's worked well for you.
0: I mean, I haven't been successful in all things, but yeah, it's worked pretty well. I think you know, it's like doing the work before you actually get to the end result that um, that helps make the decision um, make sense. Even if it's not successful or you don't get the positive returns, you need to look at the the end result and understand and try to figure out why, so that you can inform like better decisions moving forward. And I think the other thing for me is understanding like I don't know everything. I've worked in all kinds of marketing capacities, but there's always a new consumer, a new experience, a new tool, and I'm open to like, learning about those things, and I'm open to failing, too. Like, I'm not going to get it all right yeah. all the time. Yeah.
1: Um, and how do you just go off that? How do, you, how do you think about what aspects of marketing do you think will stay the same forever? And what do you think people should be, what do you think is changing?
0: Well, I'll start from your last part. What's changing is the tool is changing. It used to be like you had TV and radio, and then it was TV, radio, and print. You know, you had these traditional things, and now there's any number of ways to get in front of the consumer. So that will always change. But it's a pendulum. You know, things swing this way, they swing back. So, you know, I'm seeing a lot of late-stage startups running on CNN these days. (laughs) You know, for for a number of reasons, I can assume, you know, broader reach. Um, But maybe they started out in a smaller, more bespoke way. So the tool will always change. The thing that will always stay the same are the things we talk a lot about at um, my company now, Effie, which is like, the you know, these four key pillars of understanding your category. You need to understand what what you're fighting against, what you're up against. Or even if you're creating a new category, what is that category and how will it grow? You get to see the long-term vision there. You know, understanding a consumer insight and a business insight that leads to a big idea, something you can communicate to the consumer. And then how you execute upon that idea, the tools change, but like. The idea of executing based on who you're talking to is important. And then measuring it. Like that simple process is the thing that should always be consistent across marketing. Because like, you know, that's, that's part of storytelling. It's part of, part of telling your business story. It's part of telling your marketing story. And if all those pieces work really well together and back each other up, you've got a strong strategy. And then it makes it like a little bit easier to figure out what tools to use, what tools to test. Um, So I think that 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 strategic process will always stay the same, or it should. And if people don't know about it, I'm telling you now, people. (laughs) um, Learn about it. Yes. Uh,
1: So what is Effie and why did you decide to join?
0: Yeah. So Effie, or the Effie, some people call it. um, Effie is a global organization, and we focus on marketing effectiveness. We help champion marketers, help support them in their quest to achieve effective marketing, And we do that in a number of ways. Um, We're most known for our effectiveness awards. So Effie's been around for like 50 years. Literally, this is our 50th anniversary this year. Wow, happy anniversary. Thank you, we've survived, (laughs) we're thriving. And for 50 years, we have awarded the, the most effective marketing Around the world, we're in like 50-plus countries and regions, so not just the U.S. So we do it in Germany, we do it in Panama, a oh, wow. bunch of places. Um, we have an office in China. And we have an extremely rigorous process. So those like four pillars I was just, ta- you know, i have been talking about, we... Ask brands to submit their brand case for that year or over a number of years, and then we evaluate it through, you know, our, you know, pillars of looking at a challenge, your insight, an idea, your um, execution, and then your measurement. So it's, it's incredible. We've had companies from Apple to Nike to Oscar to Peloton um, come through this process and be awarded for their effective campaigns. We've also had some major brands who have submitted and haven't won.
1: So not just someone had a pretty campaign or a funny campaign, but actually, like, does this accomplish the goal yeah. that was set out and actually move the
0: Yeah. Deal? Literally, what we say is, like, did it work? Okay. Whatever it is, <laughs> did it work? Yeah, we don't define what effectiveness means because for every business it's different. Um, for one company, it might be selling ten thousand of whatever. Another might be, you know, um, improving perceptions of the brand. So okay. we don't define that; the business does. But what we look at is, um, you know, were you rigorous in your approach to building that initiative, whether it's an ad campaign, an experience, uh, whatever it is. My role, uh, I run growth and innovation. So my job is to look at the future of the FEs and what do we do above and beyond awards. And uh, one area that's really important is like education for marketers, helping marketers um, get better at what they do and have longevity in their careers. The average tenure of a chief marketing officer gets shorter and shorter year after year. Right. And we're hoping to give them tools, even before they start their careers, to take with them as they, as they grow in their career. So we, we run um, marketing boot camps where people come in and really understand the art of building a tight strategy. We embed an organization, so I'm going out to, as I mentioned, Dubai yeah. at the end of September to run a training where we help marketers look at some of the best marketing cases from around the world and analyze those cases and understand why were they so successful and then to pull out learnings they can take with them into their organization. And we're running, you know, programs for college students where we get a real client this year with Subaru U.S., to create a marketing challenge for college students, and they submit. Oh, that's cool. Product ideas, campaign ideas, um, and then the the winning teams go out to the client. So they went to Subaru this year and presented. That's awesome. At Subaru in person. That's an amazing opportunity. It's, an, it's incredible. Yeah. We've had um, you know Campbell's to Mini to you know a variety of real brands create these challenges, and it gives these students their first really rigorous taste of. What it takes to do a marketing campaign. And I assume well. that,
1: that they're like learning about the methodology as they're doing it. And yeah, so it's like different. training and helping them and helping for the companies, it sounds like. A
0: totally. Yeah, yeah. So for the companies, you know, it's an insight opportunity. So you're getting a younger generation's perspective on a real business challenge. Yeah. It can also be a recruiting opportunity, So you know, to help like look at, oh, what's the next young talent and can yeah. we bring some of those folks into our organization? Yeah. For the schools and the students involved, sometimes professors use it as the curriculum for their spring semester like it's like they work on their challenges all semester long and for the students it gives them gives them a real world taste of marketing and what's what's awesome about it is the cases and the work the students put together they are evaluated the same way doves cases are evaluated when they submit every year like real marketers look at the work you know vote on it rank it and give real feedback to the students so that's like this unparalleled access to the marketing world. That's awesome. Yeah. So really our goal with my products is to help support marketers throughout their entire life cycle. So there are tools from college all the way up to programs for the C-suite. Wow. Yeah.
1: So it's really helping people be more effective.
0: Absolutely. Marketers
1: and storytellers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the the benefit that Effie has is we have seen and evaluated cases for 50 years. So we've seen the changes in tools, we've seen the consistency, but we have this like depth of experience and knowledge holistically as a company that we we use to help, you know, run these programs. So it's um, really backed up with pretty deep data and experience. That is awesome. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So and you asked, you know, why am I at um, FE? So I've won several FE's in my career. So it's you know, I have an affinity for no the company. Deal. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's a really big deal. Um, and I'm proud of it. But You know, I have worked in all these different roles as a marketer. So I was on the agency side and the client service role. I was the client at a startup. I worked as a consultant helping companies build their strategies, um, you know, coming from the outside in. And this role gives me a chance to support and like touch all those parts of my career and all those kinds of marketers that are out there. And I, I love this idea of creating new products. And, you know, helping to invigorate this established company it has been around for quite a while, but to also, like, put it out there to a broader audience. So it's it's a great way to kind of touch all the things that I've done before, but then also stretch me in my role.
1: Well, I assume you're also, because of the, where the way you are positioned and Effie is positioned, you get to see the most effective campaigns. Yeah. And you get to see, like, the best of the craft. Yeah. And you're probably learning things, I would guess, that most people don't, can't, possibly learn any other way
0: absolutely absolutely like I'm, I'm learning you know sort of like the new tools that are out there um, but also i like, get to interface with marketers who are doing it at an early stage and a really established stage like our um, board of directors are like these amazing se- yeah, it's senior insane. people yeah from, you know, leadership from Facebook and Google. We have a new board member from Amazon, Accenture, um, to people on the agency side, the, uh, you know, uh, person who runs um, Universal McCann globally. Um, And I get to pick up the phone and call these people and be like, hey, so we got this challenge. Can you help us do X, Y, Z? Or this is where we're trying to take Effie. Can we use, you know, your resources to help us get there? Can we just, can I just like pick your brain? Yeah. So first of all, like, the access is insane. And board alone in the US, we interact with like, um, you know, several hundred senior marketers every year through our judging process and 6,000 senior marketers globally every year. So the the access that we have to all levels of marketers is quite unique. And I love being able to, to get in and talk to people and understand like, what their challenges are, how are they doing things differently, and be able to kind of use those learnings to help other marketers do well in what they do.
1: That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. The board is insane. I was looking at that. I was like, also, many of these people look competitive with each other. They are. And I, like, I wonder how this is handled because <laughs> it's like, hey, I just figured out this new thing. Should I tell anyone or not? Like, and it, it was. It's, it seems like it's some, It makes for some interesting dynamics.
0: Yes, they are competitors, but they're like, and you know, there's a competitive spirit, but yeah. they're good people, and they're good to each other when they're in the room together. And, you know, Effie is a nonprofit organization. So, like, all the money we make goes back into the industry. All the products we create go back to support the industry. And the people who are on that board support that mission, right? They support the mission of championing, um, being a champion of and supporter of marketing around the world. So, it's like they have good hearts, and there's a good mission that together we're trying to um, trying to accomplish. So it's, yeah, they are competitors, but they're they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> we can all do drinks together. Yeah, that's and, good. And be that's nice. And, yeah. yeah. So
1: being at Effie and having this unique view in the world, do you have any advice for things you've seen like big companies do mm-hmm. that you think more startups and small companies should push themselves to try?
0: It's a good question. I think I think bigger companies spend a lot more time on like their sort of like marketing strategy and being rigorous at that. Mm. I think not all of them, so I don't, you know, wouldn't offend anyone, but like there are certain tools that maybe other startups have seen other startups do and they're like, okay, that tool seems to work or there are certain tried and true kind of performance tools and there's a leap to to pick that and run with it mm. um, before taking a step back and saying like, okay, who exactly is a consumer and what are their media habits and like doing a little bit of deep diving there. Bigger companies do it maybe to a fault. You know, when I worked on Kraft and Nabisco and things like that, you know, we'd spend a whole year understanding the customer journey and pharmaceutical marketing the same way. Where do they fall off? Where do they continue in their journey? What are the gaps like, you know, a year doing that. Yeah. Like that's too long. Maybe that's too long. But on the other flip side, you know, very limited time is spent on that. And there's there's some kind of balance in between. Because I think when you start and think about your target audience a little bit more deeply than just tried and true performance tools, you may find some new Avenues that you hadn't thought of before, which is how we found came to out of home with Oscar. Yeah. Doesn't mean out of home would work for everyone. Maybe it wouldn't work for Oscar today, but it did back then. You know, like the, the world easy, changes. It's easy
1: to miss the timing that the world changes. Yeah. That, like, okay, if you're competing and out of home and it's like a random doctor and some other sketchy thing, you're like, well, they the branding and your positioning of the creative can make you feel like, elevated and more professional and suddenly people are checking it out, yeah. then that disappears as opposed to just, you know, it's that idea of copying tactics without knowing why. Right. Right.
0: Right. And and it's in the early days, um, people would come to me and they'd be like, okay, so you use Edip Home as a acquisition tool. And I would have to say, well, that wasn't the intent. Yeah. But it maybe it became one of our tools. But the intent was this. And then the marketplace told us something different. But that wasn't that <laughs> wasn't the idea, and um, I think you have to be open to kind of that that shift and change. Totally,
1: I think it's also uh, I feel like there's this excuse I hear, which is, oh, this company's big, mm-hmm. and so they can spend a lot of money, and that's why their campaigns work. Yeah, and what gets missed so often is like that's just an excuse that someone often complaining. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not that it's not just about spending money, right? Like if you spend money on the wrong thing, it will not work.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, amongst for our awards platform, there's a category for like brands that didn't really have any money, <laughs> you know, small budget. It's yeah. not about the money. Yeah, it's not about oh TV. It's not about you know Facebook, or whatever. It's about you know you know delivering a tight initiative that drove results for your business, whatever yeah. those results may be. That's indicative of your business and your challenge but you don't have to have a ton of money or much money at all to make an impact and to get to your goals um, In fact that's probably you know the more fun challenge of taking like no money and, and pushing yourself out there
1: And what about going the other direction? What are the things you, you're saying small companies do that you think more big companies should try?
0: No fear I mean I'm sure there's fear there but like you know behaving in a, in a, in a no fear kind of way being super nimble like testing and optimizing rapidly. Like that's something that bigger organizations are trying to work their way towards, but they have such legacy. They've been around for a long time. It, 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 it's hard to move a, a big ship like that. And so the speed at which product innovations can happen, marketing innovations is, is really something to be admired in the, in the startup space because you have a few nimble people. You don't have a whole organization to like bring along with you. That's something that I think everyone on the other side is trying to accomplish. I think that the piece that both are probably challenged with is like, at some point, when do you have access to too much data? Mm -hmm. The data
1: fatigue problem? Oh,
0: totally. And like analysis paralysis. So you can analyze and analyze, but at some point you got to make a decision and and just move forward with it. (laughs) And I think access to too much data can can cloud that decision-making too for both sides.
1: Yeah. I think about that a lot with us because in the early days... We had nothing but time. Cause we're trying to get people to know who we are. So we're yeah. trying lots of stuff and we're taking creative we are taking lots of creative risks. We trusted ourselves. And then we hit a moment where we started to have so much data that we'd be like, ooh, well, should we try that big thing? Or yep. well, we could just optimize this because we have the data now. It's like, yeah, it seems like the smart move. Yeah. And we just kept going back to the data and actually made us we had analysis paralysis. Yeah. And it took a while to realize, oh, that's you have to have a balance with all of these things. But often, at least with the startup world, early days, you have no, you have no data, you've nothing. It's just like if you hadn't told your your customer service team to like, hey, ask people where they came from. Yeah. If you weren't getting that data in creative ways, then you would never have known no. that it was working.
0: No. You could have never been on the subway. It would have been a whole different industry. Yeah. But yeah, those sometimes taking this simple approach is like the thing that will save you. Yes. Um, but I understand like wanting to look at the data and, and take as measured an approach as possible because you're spending money. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. you don't want it to go out the door. You're spending money, you're spending time. So I like I, you know, I get why people want to look at the data to see that. And it is important, but there's a there's gonna be an in-between space where you have to like take leaps that you did in the early days when you had no data. Yep. Right. And and challenge yourself in that way. And I think the whole industry. Can benefit from that and does in certain ways. Just they're running at different different paces because of size mm-hmm. and access mm-hmm. and funds and you know expectations. Yeah,
1: yeah. And where do you think things are headed?
0: I I think what's old is new and what's new is old. So, you know, you're really well aware of like the the importance of like content, right? And and driving advocacy and connection through like you know delivering really great content that, like, you know, gets the consumer's attention. Content's always been part of the marketing story. It's just been done in different ways, right? Like, way before you and I were even thought of, you know, the way brands would advertise is you had the talent from the TV show actually run the commercial break, and they kind of incorporate your product into the story. Well, that was a content play. In radio stories that were sponsored, that was a content play in some kind of way. We're just doing it Differently now,
1: the tools are different. Now.
0: The tools are different, yeah. but the the art of storytelling is still really important, and I think that that has gotten lost recently. Um, and I think the agency world is being challenged by that, and brands are being challenged to try to figure out like the importance of creativity and content and storytelling. But I think where we're going is we're going back to the importance of making connections with consumers, not just getting them in the door. I think we'll swing back to the importance of, like, creativity to make that connection. And then one day we'll swing back over the other way when mm-hmm. some other, you know, <laughs> when we have all implants in our heads and you can, like, the read minds. The neural links are going, yep, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then we'll, you, you
1: and know. I have a, an interview like this and no one can hear it, but they can <laughs> But our thoughts are showing up. <laughs> it's yeah. very Star Trek. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait. Um,
0: Actually, I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm down, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think you know, I think the industry will has swung away from like you know creativity and the importance of content, and it's swinging back towards it right now. And I think it will swing a different way, and we'll go back and forth. I think, you know, the industry kind of reinvents itself over time.
1: But the key is, it seems like. Knowing the fundamentals yeah. and then reading where it's going. Yeah. And trying to get there.
0: Yeah. And hey, you might read wrong. Yeah. But you know, a strong strategy will give you the space to like experiment and kind of make it all hang together. And and that will help you get to really effective marketing ultimately. But you may not hit it out of the park every time. Yeah. Um, you know, cons- you might read your consumer wrong, they may change their minds, there might be a new tool, but giving your spa- yourself the space to experiment is really important, too.
1: How do you prep for that? Like, how do you make sure that you can survive not heading out of the park?
0: For me, at least, like, w- what every brand, every brand, you know, any brand I've worked on, including, you know, the FEs, where I'm experimenting with new platforms, like, you know. I know I'm going to test this idea. We're going to run fast. We're going to try it. We're going to build out ways to measure it, understand what success looks like. So when we see it, we know it. And when when we didn't get there, we know that too. And like, you know, building the expectation internally and for myself that I'm going to learn from whatever it is that I've worked towards. And I'm also going to work my butt off to try to get there. And I guess, I don't know, I'm just old enough now to know like... I wouldn't be me without some failures. Yeah. Um, and I think many of the brands that we love wouldn't be who they are without failure, too. So I just, I don't know, I just, I think I've just had enough experience to say, if it doesn't work, I need to learn from why it didn't work. And in order to do that, I need to set up the way to measure, does it work or not? Yeah. So again, it's like, my husband is a, uh, worked in um, advertising with me, and he's a creative. And so we would always say to each other, like, Bad pre-pro, bad production, right? If you don't get the baseline work done and make sure it's tight, your end result will never get there. And it's the same thing at the FEs. You get your strategy tight, your execution will come, but that that baseline work has to be done. So for me, it's, you know, doing that work, and if I think I've really like done all I can there, then we'll see if it works or not. Cool. Hopefully it does. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Veronica, thank you so much for being here. I really enjoyed this. Thank
0: you. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you.